So we're in the book of Acts chapter 9, and wow, what, a, what an amazing chapter this is, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Uh, the first week we talked, uh, the title of the message was, I'll take it from here. Basically, when Jesus showed up and disrupted Saul's plans for his life, the Lord said, I'll take it from here. Uh, then we talked about last weekend, you know, faith, fads, and fairy tales. And this weekend, in our, in our weekend services, we're going to pick up where we left off, but I've entitled the message, Real or Fake? Let's pray. God, bless this word. May our hearts and our lives be in a good spot to receive truth today. Minimize the distractions and allow us to receive the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. I thank you for everyone that's here in Trinity Central, the chapel, those watching live video streaming. Bless them and touch them, Lord, by your, the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Is it real or is it fake? If something's fake, it means it's not genuine. It's, it means it's a, a counterfeit. Many of you know, when I was in Bible school, I worked at a bank and I was a teller for a while, and they taught us how to, how to identify a counterfeit $100 bill. And uh, it's based on the feel, even the sound, and more importantly, there's another marker. When you hold it up to a light, you look for certain things to know whether it's real or not. And sometimes it's hard to distinguish between what is real in this world and what is, what is fake. There's a lot of talk today about fake news. Uh, we've all been around fake people. I saw in the news this past week a woman was arrested. She did one of the most deplorable things you could do. She's faked, she was faking an illness to raise money. What a disgrace for the people that are truly battling a life-threatening terminal illness for someone to fake sickness, to cheat people out of money. There's fake art counterfeit masterpieces that are out there. And who in here, you know, in all my travels overseas and I've been to New York once, who in here hasn't been tempted to buy a fake Rolex watch? I've been this close, $25, and it looks like the real thing. Then if you walk away, they get down to $10, so don't ever buy it for $25. But I, I just can't bring myself to buying a fake Rolex watch. Because when I put it on, I know it's not, what, real. And we love and appreciate and we value that which is real. The Bible warns that in the last days that there will be fake messiahs and fake prophets and fake pastors and fake preachers and fake conversions, even fake churches. Is it real or is it fake? You know, my mom called me this past week, and usually I call her, but if she calls me, it's like something's up, right? And uh, she called me, and I answered, and I said, hey, mom, what's up? How's everything? She goes, good, good, good. She goes, where's that the bag of coins that I gave Jonathan a couple of years ago? She gave John this, like, bag of coins she's had her entire life, you know? has, like, silver dollars in it and nickels and old pennies and all this stuff. I said, it's somewhere, mom. She said, did you see the news? I said, no. She said in the news, there's a penny, a 1943 penny that was sold for $1 million. I'm like, oh, really? She goes, yeah, I'm sure there's one of those in that bag. I'm like, okay, whatever, Mom. Okay, I got to go, though. I love you. Bye. She calls the next day. Did you check? Did you see? Did you find out? I'm like, what, Mom? That penny. I'm like, no, Mom, I, I didn't. But okay, I will, I will, I will, I will. So I thought, I thought, wow, is this, what's, is this even like real? Is it fake news or real news, right? So I, I go, and sure enough, on ABC News, there was a penny, a 1943 bronze penny. It looks like this. That was sold for $1 million. And if you happen to have one, 
It's worth anywhere from $300,000 to a million dollars. And I know what all of you are going to do. You're going to go home and find that bag of pennies. But you have to authenticate. Is it the real or the fake? There are some fake ones out there. And one of the indicators is the three. It has to have a downward slope. You say, how do you know that? I'll tell you in a second. So this is worth a million dollars if you have a bronze 1943 penny, because during the World War II, you know, all the precious metals were being used for the war, and so they made a, a, a certain addition of the bronze pennies, and they're worth a lot of money right now. So I thought, I better find that bag of potentially gold. So I'm looking, and I find it. It didn't seem as heavy as it was originally, and so I'm like asking my son, did you get rid of any of these coins? Oh, he better not have gotten rid of any of these coins. If he would have given a million-dollar penny away, uh-oh, right? So I'm looking, 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 and then there's a box there, and, there's, and in the box there's these like odd-looking, really old coins. And there's a 1943 Abraham Lincoln penny and the three slants. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> and it, it looks bronze to me. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on this. So I, I go to the bathroom, I get some toothpaste, and I wash it. And the bronze started going away. I said, maybe I should stop washing it. <laughs> and to know whether it was real or fake, the final thing that you need to do is if it's metal, if it's bronze, it won't stick to a magnet. So now Gloria's home. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, we may have a million-dollar penny right here. She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah, look, look here in the news, blah, blah, blah. She goes, I said, the final test is I need to find a magnet. And I'm, and I'm standing there, right? And I need to find a magnet. Do we have a magnet in the house? She reaches behind me is the refrigerator, and she pulls off a magnet. <laughs> you women are so smart. And the real proof here, if it's real or fake, will it, will it stick to the, will it, you know, attach itself to the magnet? And I put the penny up to the, she put the penny up to the magnet, and it stuck. And so this is the one I had. I took a picture to send it to my mom, okay, to prove to her, it's not the bronze one, mom. It's the steel one. And it's only worth nine bucks. Do you want it back, by the way? <laughs> There's a difference between what is fake and what is real. What happened in the book of Acts to the disciples and to the people that became followers of Jesus, you can take that off, is that, thank you, what they had was real. Paul's conversion, Saul of Tarsus, who became the great apostle Paul, his conversion was real. And my first point I want to share with you is this. God can amaze others through your testimony. That's what, the, that's what was about to happen. That's what was happening in the early church. They were amazed at what had happened to Saul of Tarsus. So look at verse 21 of Acts 9. Then all who heard of his conversion were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? They were amazed. They were bewildered. They were flabbergasted at the fact that this once hater of Christ now became a lover of Christ. This once persecutor of the church became a preacher for the church, Jesus Christ. And they were amazed. You know, when you give your life to Jesus... You're going to amaze the people that are around you. You know why? Because something's different about you. Something changes. When you meet Jesus, not church, not religion, but Jesus, the Lord and Savior, 
You'll never be the same again. No, you don't, become a, you don't become an angel, and you don't become perfect, and you don't always bat a thousand, and you don't become some super Christian overnight. But something's different about you. You're no longer the person that you used to be. The things you used to love to do, you now hate to do. The things you used to hate to do, you now love to do. And people around you are amazed. Initially, the people around your life may be stunned at the transformation. I know, uh, when I got saved, I was, I was living with my, my dad and his, his, his wife. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny, when I was a teenager, as long as I was getting in trouble, going out and partying, getting drunk, getting in fights, smoking dope, I was normal. As soon as I gave that all up, started going to church, reading my Bible, and witnessing to everything that came my way about Jesus and are you ready to go to heaven because I don't want you to go to hell, my father sat me down and said, are you okay? <laughs> you're different. I said, I met Jesus, Dad. Are you sure you're not in a cult? <laughs> I'm sure, Dad. I'm not in a cult. I'm just, I'm not the man I used to be. Did I still have rough edges? Absolutely. Did I still have a lot of time to, needing to grow? Absolutely. Did I still have some struggles in my life? Absolutely. But when I surrendered my life to Jesus, he changed my life, and I was no longer the person I used to be. And nor are you. And as you and I grow in our faith and continue to follow Christ, we can begin to amaze the world. And the world needs some more amazement of amazing people just like you who have encountered Jesus, and you're not the person that you used to be. Saul, it was hard for others to be convinced that he was not the person he used to be. In verse 22 of Acts 9, but Saul increased all the more in strength, and that's how it happens. Day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, you grow in strength. And he confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. The persecutor becomes the preacher. Now, Saul, who became the great apostle Paul, he, uh, he tells us in the book of Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, that he spent three years in a place called Arabia. And it was there that Jesus taught him the gospel according to grace. Now, it's significant because during that period of time, Jesus personally taught Paul everything he preached about. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said that he was, he was taken to heaven, to the third heaven, and he heard things unlawful for a human being to even utter or speak about. You know, how many of you would like, a, like to take a trip to heaven? I'd like to take a round trip to heaven right now. I want to come back, finish my assignment, and then a one-way trip on my final destination. Amen. But Paul took a trip to heaven, and he heard things that were unlawful for another human being to even speak about. And it was during that time that he received the gospel that he called the mystery, the mystery of the faith that he talked about in his epistles as he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And here's basically what Paul learned. What he learned, even as, as he was beginning to, to live out his faith here in Acts chapter 9, he learned three, th three things. He learned about Jesus and what it meant to obey Jesus in verses uh, 22 and 23. 
He learned about the reality of ministry, that there's going to be opposition in life and how to handle opposition. A lot of people short-circuit the destiny of God in their life, the blessing, the full blessing of God in their life, because at first sign of opposition, they, they go in the opposite direction. That's verses 23 and 25. And then he learned about the importance of team ministry, the importance of others. And that kind of becomes an outline for your life, whether you're a businessman, a student, a pastor, a preacher, a missionary, an evangelist, a full-time mom, whatever it is that you are in life. All of us need to learn those three things, what it means to obey Jesus. And when you obey Jesus, you're not going to make everybody around you happy. When you begin to be the ambassador of Christ that God's called you to be in this world, the world's not going to just, you know, applaud you. Sometimes you have to obey God rather than man. And as you begin to obey Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, you're not going to make the people of this world very happy. You see, as long as you live like the world lives, think like the world thinks, speak like the world wants you to speak, act like the world wants you to act, everything will be fine. But as soon as you begin to go in the opposite direction and you begin to follow Christ, you're going to make some enemies. Saul was now about to learn what it's like to have enemies, those that were out to literally kill him because he preached Jesus and he represented Christ. So he went from obeying Jesus to having to work through opposition and learning how to work with others. That the only way we're going to get from point A to point B in life, from where we're at to the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan in our life, is that it's going to take others. And we don't go it alone. Christianity is not a solo act. So number one, God can do amazing things through you and give you a testimony that will amaze others. Number two, all of us are vessels of God, and we want to be a vessel of honor. Look at verse 23 of Acts 9. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched uh, the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Now, Saul was going to Damascus to persecute Christians. He ends up going there to preach about Christ. And he made a lot of enemies by doing that. So now the religious leaders are plotting to kill him like he was plotting to kill Christians once. And so he stays in Damascus. We don't know how long, days, weeks, but we know that immediately he started preaching in the synagogues. It got to the place where it was so dangerous for Saul to be in Damascus he had to escape in the middle of the night in a basket down the wall. They had to lower him to safety. From there, in a moment, we're going to look at how he goes back to Jerusalem. But there's some discrepancy on did he go to Jerusalem right away? Because according to what he wrote in Galatians 1, he goes from Damascus to Arabia for three years for his seminary training under the tutelage of the Lord Jesus himself. And then he goes back to Jerusalem to meet the apostles, Peter, James, and John. And uh, what an introduction that was going to be, because these were the heavy hitters, Peter, James, and John. But now Saul, who's going to become the great apostle Paul, he's going to become the lead dog. <laughs> kind of a bad way to say it, but he's going to become the main man throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Peter takes up a couple of more chapters, chapters 10, chapter 11 a little bit. But basically, once it hits chapter 13, it's all Paul. The rest of the Bible 
all Paul, except for a couple of letters that Peter wrote. So this is a crucial moment. So imagine the image of this. The enemy is out to get Saul and kill him. Ultimately, it's the devil who inspires people to harm you, to harm us. Because the devil hates God, number one, and the devil hates you, number two, because you're made in the image and likeness of God. So uh, there's, no, there's, no thing, there's no such thing as detente with the enemy. There's no negotiations with the enemy. It's either kill or be killed. He takes no prisoners. He wants your soul, and he wants to drag it to hell with him. So he's out to steal, to kill, and destroy, John 10, 10. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, have it more abundantly. That's the difference. So as soon as you give your life to Christ, you have a spiritual assignment. You may not know what it is yet, but you have one. Part of it is to be a good husband one day, a good father, a good, a good wife, a good mother, good grandparents, a good business person, or a good whatever vocational ministry, marketplace ministry, whatever it is God called you to. It's, it includes that. It's a, pa- a full package. Sometimes you don't know the specifics, but there's a plan. So the enemy is afraid of you and me stepping into the fullness of God's plan for our lives, to be the person he's called us to be. So early on, he wants to, he wants to take you out. That's why the first three years of your Christian life are, are critical. That's when the foundation's being laid for the rest of your Christian life. That's when your roots begin to go down deep. And if he can get you within that, the first 36 months of your, of your new conversion, he may win. But Jesus said, I, I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith would not fail because Satan wants to sift you like wheat. So the first three years, very, very critical. This is a critical moment in Saul's life. And the enemy is out to kill him. Let me tell you something. The enemy's out to kill young people in this generation. Spiritually, he's out to slay children and, and young people, and young adults, and adults, everyone. You're, you're, on the, you're on the most wanted list of the enemy. So what do the disciples do? They put Saul in a basket. Imagine this. You're a vessel. Imagine the vessel, this, this basket that was going to hold the great Saul of Tarsus who was going to become the great apostle Paul. They placed him in a basket to lower him over the wall. When I get to heaven, I want to meet this, mas- this basket maker. I want to say thank you for making a sturdy basket. Because there was some precious cargo in that particular basket that night. One Saul of Tarsus, right? And so they begin to lower him down that wall. Imagine the image of this. They're lowering down, that, down the wall, side of the wall, in the basket. And I want to also thank the rope maker that when I get to heaven. I mean, I'm glad that he didn't cut corners on that rope. Imagine if they would have gotten a faulty rope and they're lowering this precious cargo, the next, you know, I mean, the Apostle Paul, going to write two-thirds of the New Testament, and the rope snaps. Splat. Oops, not my fault. The rope broke. So I want to thank the rope maker when I get there. But I also want to thank the guys that were holding on to the rope. Now, you ladies maybe say, well, how come you don't don't know it's the women? Well, I'm sure some women, too. There's some strong women these days. I'm sure there were strong women back then. But, uh, you know, for my story's sake, the guys. I want to walk up and say, hey, to all the guys that were holding that rope, thanks, guys, for holding that rope. Because if they would have let go of that rope, we wouldn't be talking about the Apostle Paul today. Who knows what the state of the Christian church would be in today if this great escape plan if they didn't pull it off 
But the beauty of the story is they did. Now, here's what's interesting. This had such an impression on Paul. Could you imagine Paul in a basket, you know, and they're lowering him? He's thinking, man, I hope this basket holds up. I hope the ropes don't break. I hope those are strong deacons, you know, that are lowering me. And, and it was probably somewhat of a trip down, right? And he finally hits bottom, and he gets out, and he escapes, and he goes to Arabia, and then back to Jerusalem, and, and the ministry continues to flourish through his life. Later on in life, he's writing a letter to Timothy, and he says this to Timothy, um, in 2 Timothy 2.20, he says, There are many vessels in a house, vessels of gold and silver, wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. You see, God's church is like a house. And we're all different vessels in God's house. And we're all a vessel, some of gold, some of silver, some of wood, some of clay, we all come in all different shapes, in all different sizes, in all different substances, but all of us are a vessel, and we're, we're carrying some precious cargo. The Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're carrying the promises of God. You're carrying within your life the dream of God for your life. And you and I are like that basket, and we need to make sure that we let that basket down slowly. That that basket reaches its destination. You see, as a church, we're like this large basket full of precious cargo. In kids' place, it's a large basket, and we've got the souls of young children, and they're in a basket, and we, we're letting them down ever so gently. Parents, you're letting your kids down ever so gently. Why? Because the enemy wants to kill them, and the enemy is plotted against them. And that's why it takes great parents. That's why it takes great churches. That's why it takes great schools. That's why it takes great people to come and help lower those children down that basket until they reach the bottom safely. In our youth ministry, we've got a large basket. We've got young people at a very crucial age. You've got this, this crazy series on Netflix called 13 Reasons. 13 what? 13 Reasons Why. And it's a, it's a show about a young girl going through the process of, of coming to a place of making a decision to commit suicide. Are you kidding me? You see, the enemy's out to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's targeting our young people, wanting to plant these foolish thoughts in their heads that suicide could potentially be a way out. Suicide is never a way out. And suicide is never a way to get back at those that have disappointed you or hurt you. In the end, the only one that you hurt is yourself. And those that loved you, which will grieve the rest of their life. It's a lie from the pit of hell. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We've got, we've got young people in a basket, and we're letting them down through our youth ministry. Yeah, young adults in a basket, and we're letting them down. We've got adults. We've got people of all walks of life, and you're in a basket somewhere, and you're that basket. You've got precious cargo. You know, just to imagine, we all have a rope, and we need to hold on to that rope as we're lowering people to get them away safely so they can fulfill the plan and destiny of God for their lives. But I can't stop thinking about Saul in a basket. You know what that makes, Saul? A basket case. <laughs> but you know what that says about you and about me? 
We're all basket cases for Jesus. Amen. God's doing a mighty work in us. And it's ultimately God that's letting us down. And because you're a vessel of gold and silver and wood and clay, not just any vessel, you're a vessel filled with the promises of God, a vessel filled with the Spirit of God, a vessel filled with the, with the purposes of God, and the meaning of life is in you through Christ. So be the best vessel. Be a vessel of honor. You know, there was a time that we used our vessel for dishonor, right? But no more. Because we're a vessel of honor, we watch what we put in this vessel. We watch what we put on this vessel. We watch what we put in it. We watch what we put on it or don't put on it. Some people need to put a little bit more on the vessel. You know what I'm talking about. Just a little bit more clothing, a little bit more cotton or polyester could help. Amen. Oh, now he's getting into t- walking, on some, walking on toes. Bring your steel boots if you feel I'm walking and stepping on your toes this morning. You're a vessel of honor, a vessel for God's glory. The third thing is what we have is real. It's, it's, it's real faith in a fake world. You've got real faith in a fake world. (laughs) On the news, there was this fry festival in the Bahamas on a private island in the Bahamas. And they advertised to all the rich millennials of the world. And by the hundreds, thousands, they showed up to be a part of this great private party with all the drinking and music and fun and sin you could think of. And it was all a sham. The people showed up, broken down tents. Some were mugged, some were manhandled. They gave them sandwiches with cheese and wilted lettuce in it. It was a disaster. It was a scam. And people lost tens of thousands of dollars in traveling there and purchasing the tickets. That's a metaphor for the world. Promises you so much. At the end of the day, it's fake. It's counterfeit. It's not real. It's not lasting. But what we have is... Peter even touched on this in his epistle in 2 Peter 1.6. For we have not been telling you fairy tales when we explain to you the power of our Lord Jesus Christ and His coming again. My own eyes have seen His splendor and His glory. Peter's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. When he, Peter, Peter, James, and John were on the mount and they saw Jesus be transfigured and transformed before their very eyes, And they saw Jesus in all of his regalia and glory as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this never left him. It left a permanent impression on him. Many of the people that heard the story of the resurrection of Christ in the first century and heard the the gospel message, they thought it was too good to be true. In Luke 24, 11, it says, But the story sounded like a fairy tale to the man. They didn't believe it. But it was true. It's what's real in a fake world. It's what you can hold on to in the shifting sands of time. It's what you can count on to be real. Now, Saul of Tarsus is going to go back to Jerusalem. Now, you have to to understand this. Whether it was weeks later or some say three years later, because from Damascus, he, he, he goes back to Jerusalem, but between Damascus and Jerusalem, there was an Arabia. He talks about in Galatians 1. 
He's going back to Jerusalem because he has to meet with the, the jefes, okay, the bosses. I mean, the pillars of the church is what, how the Bible describes them. Peter, James, and John. These were the movers and the shakers, okay? They have an important meeting in Acts 15. But an initial meeting, they've heard about him, but they haven't met him yet. So Saul is now going back to Jerusalem. Remember the last time he left Jerusalem? Papers in tote to go to Damascus to persecute, arrest, kill Christians. That's Saul. He left Jerusalem one way. He's going back, but he's, a, he's not the same man, is he? No, he's different. He's going back to Jerusalem, and he gets back to the city. Boy, don't you know? It looked different. It smelled different. He looked at the temple, and now that temple it's not the, doesn't look the same way it did when he left the last time. Because he's a different man now. He's changed. He walked past Golgotha, where Christ was crucified outside of the city, and he said, Whoa, this is where it all happened. He went to the different stations of where the life of Christ, in meaningful moments in the life of Christ, I've been there. I can only imagine what Saul was thinking, taking it all in, because everything in Israel speaks of Jesus, even though they don't want to admit it. Every piece of rock and every piece of dirt and every building, the sky, the air, it all speaks of Jesus, the one who came, the one who died, and the one who rose again and is coming back to the city of Jerusalem to rule and reign. Hallelujah. Praise be to his name. But everything's different. You know why? Listen to me. It's not because Jerusalem changed, but because Saul was different. He's not the same man. He's not the man he used to be, right? You're not the person you used to be. Sometimes you may go back to your old stomping grounds. Sometimes you may go back to the old ways of your life and you'll find out really fast that beer doesn't take, taste like it used to taste. That whiskey doesn't taste like it used to taste. That pot doesn't taste like it used to taste. That gambling isn't as fun as it used to be. That porn isn't where you need to be like you used to be. Why? Because you're not the man you used to be. You're not the woman you used to be. You've been changed by the power of God. You're a new man. You're a new woman. The things of this world just won't satisfy you any longer. You need higher things. You need better things. You need glorious things. You need the things that only heaven can offer and only God can bring into your life. Saul's not the same man. Jerusalem's not the same place, not because Jerusalem changed. It's not the fact that your friends changed or those places of ill repute that you used to visit changed. It's that you've changed. You're not the person you used to be, and you never will be. You can't go home again, as the old saying goes. So verses 26 through 30, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, and you don't blame them. And did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, thank God, another friend in, in a time of need, son of encouragement, comes and took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and, and that he had spoken to him and, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, 
but they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So he had to flee Jerusalem after a while because the enemy was out to kill him. But then something happens. Something changes. Saul leaves there, and he's not stopped. He's not hindered. He's not slowed down. On every turn, there's the enemy trying to thwart, trying to sabotage, trying to undermine, trying to inhibit. But each time, God shows him a way of escape, and he navigates the hostility and the opposition because he's obeying Jesus. So he's working through the opposition, and he has the help of others. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you will face. But I know that each of us commit and determine to obey Jesus as a student, as a mother, as a father, as a business person, as an educator, as a pastor, an evangelist, or a missionary, whatever your current station or season in life is. And there are different seasons in life, and we'll touch on that next in two weeks. The Lord's with you. And he'll send an Ananias when you need an Ananias. He'll send a, a Barnabas when you need a Barnabas. If you just stay on mission for Jesus, the right people at the right time will come, come across your path to help lead you and guide you, ultimately, where he wants you to be. I was so touched this last service. At the end of this last service, a young man came up to me. Good-looking young man. He's only been married two weeks. Introduced me to his wife. He said, you know, I haven't been in church in a long time, but I had a dream the other night. And in my dream, Jesus appeared to me. All of a sudden, he showed up, and he's in a city, and he's healing people, and I'm attracted to the attention of what's going on, and I, and I, and I find what's happening, and it's Jesus, and he's healing people. And then Jesus walked up to me and spoke to me and says, what is it that you need? And he came to the realization in this conversation, and I believe these moments are real and they can happen. Ultimately, and I said this last weekend, God speaks to us through his word by his Holy Spirit, and nothing should ever trump that. Nothing should ever negate that. But he can come to you in a vision or a dream. He came to this young man in a, in a dream, and, and he said, in that dream, I said, what did the Lord tell you? He said, I've called you to be a pastor. And he said, so I haven't been in church in a long time, and I'm here today, and what do I need to do? I said, you're in the right place, talking to the right guy. I said, listen, we'll come alongside of you. We'll encourage, support you. We'll help you. We'll cheer you on. I said, this is a prophetic moment in your life, isn't it? He says, yes, it is. I said, there's no going back to the old ways. He said, no way. I said, well, we're here to help you, and I'll put you in touch with the right team, pastors and ministers here, to get you on the fast track. That's the name of our, <laughs> of our membership course, the fast track. And we'll help you fulfill what it is God's called you to do. What's your Jesus moment? Maybe for some of you, it's you're called into vocational ministry. But we're all called into ministry, whether it's marketplace ministry or vocational ministry. We all need to have that moment where we say, you know what? I'm not going to fake it anymore. 
My salvation is real. My Savior is real. His calling on my life is real. And if I've been distracted or if I've been off track, then this is my Damascus moment. And I want to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? The past is the past. You can't change it. You can't go back and undo it. But I'll tell you what, your future has not yet been lived. And you can determine that your past will not be repeated in your future, but your future will be the bright one and will be the best one you could imagine because today you're saying, I'm all in. What do you want me to do, Lord Jesus? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, I want to encourage you to make, make that seat an altar and pray this simple prayer. Lord, what would you have me do with this message? What are you saying to me in this message today? Lord, I surrender all to you. I say no to the distractions of my life, and I say yes to the purposes of God for my life. I may not know how, I may not know when, but I know now's the time. Today is the day, my time, to say yes to your plan. Now, if you're here today with heads bowed and eyes closed, you need to rededicate your life to Christ, or you've never surrendered your life to Christ, today's the day, now's the time. I want you to pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. I want you to say it with your own mouth and mean it from your own heart. For the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here we go. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart, come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive His love, His grace, and His forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my Father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. and Give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family?